Well, from the darkness of night last week, you may remember the gospel reading with Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the middle of the night, now to the heat of the midday sun. In our reading with the Samaritan woman today, the good news of Jesus' forgiveness now comes not only to Nicodemus or to the Samaritan woman, but now to you at, well, what time is it? Is it 9.25 or 8.25? Well, whatever time it is, Christ comes to you now. No matter how much time you think you have in this life or how much time you're worried about having lost in the morning after daylight savings, you may feel like you've lost an hour or two, but Jesus comes to you no matter whether you think your sacrifices have been made in the right place or used correctly or whether your concern is that you've been in the wrong place at the wrong time your whole life or that your best efforts in life have been wasted. You might feel that way too. Well, no matter, Jesus comes to you now with the perfect promise. It is living water of the forgiveness of your sins. For your sins are forgiven. And this is water for you to live by each day. It is yours this day. And so now you will worship in spirit and truth. You will. Not by your own wisdom, strength, or understanding, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of this, I can say to you, grace and peace are yours from God our Father and His Son, our Lord Jesus the Christ. Amen. We're in the season of Lent, which means that even in year A of the lectionary, or the year that we hear the Gospel of Matthew, we get a nice sampling of the Gospel of John. In fact, we get some long readings in John. And last week we heard from John 3, when Nicodemus comes to John in the middle of the night, and Jesus tells him he must be born from above. And Nicodemus scratches his head, and Jesus said, you must be born from water and the Spirit in order to see the kingdom of God. By the way, this is baptism. Last night we had a wonderful baptism in our worship service, and this is exactly what Christ wants to do now, is to lavish the Holy Spirit on you who hear this word, along with the water of baptism. That is being born from above. And it is your birth, for you have been baptized. Now this week, we meet the Samaritan woman at noon. It's totally the opposite time of the day from last week. But the effect is the same. For this woman comes to the well at noon because she wants to be there alone. So that no one else is there. So that no one hassles her she doesn't know that Jesus is coming, but Jesus is there to meet her. The Samaritan woman, by all appearances, doesn't have much going for her in life. First, she is a Samaritan, which of course is fine, but they don't have the same customs as the Jews. They're related by DNA, but not fully. They're related by customs and religious practices, but not fully. And any law-abiding Jew keeps their distance from the Samaritans, as you know when you read the New Testament. But not only that, she is a woman, and here is Jesus, a man, in a day especially when men and women were separated. And a woman wouldn't talk to a man unless she knew him or he was in her family. So there are enough boundaries going on here in this story already as the disciples reveal when they come eventually and are surprised to see Jesus talking to this woman. But we learn there are even more operating. We learn why this woman is likely at the well in the heat of the day 
and not in the cooler morning when most of the women would, would go to get water. She is an outcast in her own town, having been married five times, and now with another man who is not her husband. Yet here now Jesus asks her for a drink of water. She is an outcast among outcasts, but here is Jesus asking her for water, breaking all sorts of cultural rules. But we know that there's more behind this simple question of his And we also know from the woman's answer that there's more to her as well. She's not afraid of conflict, we learn. Likely she's seen much conflict in her life. When Jesus asks for a drink, she challenges him, pointing out the obvious boundaries between them. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. Why are you here? Why are you talking to me? But then when Jesus offers living water to her, Her challenges continue. She challenges his ability to get it. She says, you don't have a bucket, and the well is deep. How are you going to get this living water that you're talking about? But when Jesus' preaching persists, he tells her what this living water does. She does not hesitate, and she insists that Jesus give her this living water so she doesn't have to keep coming back to the well. And you might think that Jesus would just baptize her in that moment, Just forgive her sins. But she has confessed none yet. So Jesus probes about her married life. Not necessarily a real polite thing in our our opinion. But Jesus probes because he is the preacher here. And he knows what is the issue. What is the problem? She's had five husbands. She's living with another man now. All of these things have been failures for her. And while the temptation in our own culture as we see it today when we're confronted with the challenges of marriage, would be to say, it's okay. Life is hard. These things will be worked out. That is not how the grace of Christ operates for her or for you. The law is upheld, actually. Jesus goes in, points out her sin, likely her own sin and the sin of other, others, her husbands, perhaps, But Jesus does not just okay it away. Instead, he takes it to himself. Instead, he forgives it. And here, though, Jesus has no bucket for water at Jacob's well. Here he gives her this living water. First by naming her sin, and then by forgiving it. Yet not before the woman challenges Jesus one more time. She has spunk. This woman is full of vinegar, we might say. But Jesus is going right in. The woman challenges Jesus one more time, naming the greatest division between the Jews and the Samaritans, the proper place of worship and sacrifice. Is it Mount Gerizim, where they were, or is it Mount Zion in Jerusalem? Well, that's a big question for a woman getting water at the well when she thought she was going to be alone. But the opinion... And the ownership of the proper place to worship and sacrifice still simmers between Jews and Samaritans today, but even more between Jews and Muslims in Jerusalem. This is an important question. To this day, there is much tension in Jerusalem about whether there should be a mosque or a temple on the Temple Mount. We Christians often offer our own opinions as well. And you don't have to see the news for too long to see that this still simmers up today in Jerusalem, and by the way, also in our own lives in many ways. 
But here, 2,000 years ago, in this conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well, Jesus clears it all up. When the Messiah comes, he says it will not be about where worship happens. It won't be about the proper place, but it will be about worshiping in spirit and truth. And then the woman confesses that she is waiting for this Messiah. And she trusts that this Messiah will clear it up, will explain it all. And then, of course, Jesus reveals he is the Messiah she's been waiting for. Now, this woman's life is full of sin, full of her own sin, full of others' sin against her, full of the tensions and boundaries, the wounds that come with sin and life under the law, full of the questions of the right timing and the wrong timing, the right location or the wrong location. But for once now, this woman is in the right place at the right time, and it's not because of her planning, but the Messiah had come to her. And so now you too, though you might be stuck in having been in the wrong place at the wrong time, you might be worried about whether the timing is right for whatever it is you're to do next. But I want you to know that today you are in the right place at the right time, for this is the work of the Holy Spirit for you as well, because Christ has come for you this day, no matter the time or place that you think you need. Now, my family, the Burgraff family, moved all of our stuff out of our house on Rochester, in Rochester this past Friday. Well, most of it, I need to drive back and do a little cleaning uh, yet today. And I have to admit, I was full of emotions. I was surprised by this. I was full of emotions about timing and location. I've learned something being married. It's that I don't like being early. It stresses me out. I didn't know that about myself until I got married and learned from my wife that, sh that she grew up knowing that if you're five minutes early, then you're on time. If you're on time, then you're late. Well, I don't like this at all. <laughs> but of course, we learn how to compromise, which usually means when I'm with my wife, we're early. And when I'm by myself, I try to be on time. So timing is important. <laughs> this past few months, we have spent a lot of energy getting the house ready to sell, decluttering, boxing things up, taking them to storage. And now, especially this past week, it feels like the timing hasn't been quite right. There's never been enough time. I was confessing to the movers, I wish we had another day. And he said, yeah, we hear that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but they were very kind. These movers maybe had a pastoral bone in their body, and one of them said to me, you know, moving is one of the most stressful things you do, so it's okay. <laughs> That's what he said. He was trying to be helpful, and in f indeed they were helpful. But the timing is never quite right, is it? And the place is what worried me even more as I look back. As we emptied that house where 10 years of memories had been made, kids growing up, beds moved, uh, lots of things happening, I got pretty emotional, and I, I learned, not that this is new, that I have a strong emotional attachment to things and the memories attached to them and actually have a fear now of losing, when I lose a place, of losing the memories attached with that. Well, you might have this too, maybe you don't. But we have a strong attachment to place. And I'm thankful once again for my wife, who is my preacher, who knows this about me, <laughs> 
because it has consequences. It means that I may keep a few things that I shouldn't be keeping. It's hard for me to let go, and when it comes time to move, well, it's either put them in the box or get rid of them. But my wife, who is my preacher, is able to say with much gentleness, now this is your sin, but your memories are not attached to these things. And in fact, God will be faithful to give other memories wherever you go. It's not about the place, but God has you. Well, I'm so thankful for, for this word from my wife. I need to hear it often, however. As I was cleaning out that empty house, it was just kind of sad. But I have a word now, and I want to share that word with you, that it's not about the place. It's not about Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem. It's not about the house in Rochester or wherever, wherever else we may live. And for you, it's not about where you're at, but what Christ has done for you. For Paul reminds us that at just the right time, Christ died for sinners. And now you are in just the right place to hear this. For now God gives to all of you, just as he gave to the Samaritan woman, he gives to you all, that no matter whether, whether you think you've got all the time in the world or you're out of it, Christ comes to you. And whether you think you're in the right place or whether you've never found your place or whether you've been looking for love in all the wrong places like this woman in our story, your Messiah is here now. And in him, you will worship in spirit and in truth. For now is the right time and the right place. And the Holy Spirit has you right where he wants you. For in him, in Christ, your sins are named and in him you are forgiven. Amen.